since I moved to Vegas. I don't I don't know if it's like a big name gym for others like I've heard I, I've heard I, that before though. I've seen people talk about LVAC and I imagine it's the same exact thing, you know. Yeah, there's I think there's like five or six locations. So it's actually one of the things I um didn't like about it. I'm used to always going to gyms that have a much bigger footprint so that way I can use them when I travel. But yeah. uh, this one's pretty close to my office and it's huge. I've never worked out in a gym this big, so that's kinda of cool. Are you a fan of fancy gyms, or do you prefer like the kind of the the down and dirty gyms, like the real heavy lifter kind of gyms? Um, probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Because, um, like I went once to the Equinox in New York City. Yeah. Uh, with a buddy of mine, and it was funny because I was at the time working out at Retro Fitness, which. I think I was paying 30 bucks a month or something. It was pretty cheap. Yeah. But it had everything you needed. Everything was, you know, by no means was it a quote-unquote nice gym, but it had everything you needed. Um, and I feel like they had more equipment at Retro than at Equinox, which is a really high-end gym. I think Equinox, like 180 okay. a month or something. Oh, yeah, Jesus Christ. I forget, okay. I forget how big their footprint is, but um, they had an amazing locker room. Yeah. A lot of amenities, but those sorts of things, like, I don't personally use. Like, I don't shower at the gym and, like, go back to the office, things like that. So, um, a lot of the fancy stuff they had, I personally wasn't using. And I found at that particular location, um, there was less gym equipment than the, the quote, cheapo gym I was at. Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of funny. Uh, you're not the only person to have said that. Somebody I was actually talking to not too long ago, literally said the exact same thing. It's, you know, you're in a fancy gym if the bathrooms are nice and like, like over here too, you know, if there's like a nice hoity toity club, literally it's, it's the amenities seem to funnel into the bathroom setting. You go into the bathroom and you're like, wow, it's beautiful in here. Like, check this out. So I don't know, just a funny side note, but I've, it's, it's a common thing. I think with all these like nice clubs, like a damn good bathroom. Yeah, like, I, and again, like, I guess that's pretty cool, especially the one I went to was in Manhattan, so I'm sure a lot of people yeah. go before work, after work, or in between work, so they do need a nice place, like, put their suit back on, and, like, the big lockers, like, I get that utility, Yeah. Um, but, again, like, I didn't, I didn't need that in terms of, like, pure, because more often than not, I'm not needing to shower at the gym, um, like, I'll be <laughs> going either. home right after, so it doesn't matter, Yeah. but... Yeah. But the first gym I ever got serious working out was after college, which was also nice because then I had money I could afford supplements and actually see some games as a former pretty skinny guy. Yeah, yeah. But I went to um, Dolphin. I think it's called Dolphin Fitness in the Bronx. Oh, wow. And, okay. Uh, it was cool. I think it was $200 a year if you paid up front. What? So cheap. That's, yeah, that's fantastic. Cool. Oh, my gosh. And it was like that quintessential gym. Like it was every all the equipment was on top of each other, but they had everything. I was I felt yeah. like by far the smallest person there. Like there was monster meatheads there. Um, it's in a pretty Italian part of the Bronx. <laughs> monsters there. I was like, yeah. But it's funny. Like I actually think that was probably 
built a date, the friendliest gym I've ever been a member of. Like, you would, some of these guys that you would think, based on how they look, yeah. they're just like professional weightlifter types that would never talk to someone, especially at the time. I was, I don't know, 130 pounds. I, I knew nothing. I was skinny as hell. And yeah. Guys, like, like people would share equipment because, like, you were literally on top of everybody. They had a ton of equipment, and the place was not was very like, big. It was packed in, um, like, sardines kind of gym. Yeah, it was yeah. like you had no choice. Like, you had to share. You had to be, like, that community sphere. Whereas yeah. I constantly see gyms now where people are like, oh, no, you can't. They don't say this, but, you know, they don't want you to work in with them. Like, oh, I, I only got four sets left. They're just... Yeah. Wait, like that's not a short amount of waiting. So that was so. It's funny. Like I feel like the more you pay at a gym, the the less friendly the the sharing mentality is with the equipment. It's true, and and maybe maybe it's sort of the bigger the more you're paying and everything. You you definitely don't. It's it's loses its community aspect, and and I've heard so many stories about people going from like the skinny you know the skinny guy working out in high school or college, but going to one of these gyms and then learning a lot from just the environment and talking to the meatheads, the big guys who are not only there, but so many other places that I've heard of are great people. And the environment is a lot more friendly, you know, regardless of what it looks like on the inside. And they got cool shit too, cool equipment. I'd imagine, you know, stuff you probably don't see in, in a club. So like cool stuff, you know, golden age type machines. Yeah. No, I, I miss, I miss that Dolphin Fitness sometimes. They had equipment. They had a lot of equipment. Yeah. Did you uh did you play any sports like in high school or or were you kinda you just went down like you were the skinny kid and you decided to lift to get bigger? I was not super athletic because I was I wasn't super athletic and I was really skinny, so even if I tried to play basketball, um, I was easily pushed around. Yeah. Like I just didn't know so yeah. in high school I, I ran a little bit but not not very good, not very consistently. Yeah. I was on the swim team, I think, one year. I think I was the slowest or the second slowest guy on the team. Yeah. Um, and in college, me and my friends played more intramural sports. I went to a D3 college, so they didn't have sports, and I certainly wasn't good enough to play sure. anything other than intramural league. But um, like I, w- I was getting more into lifting in college, but just not really seeing any gains. Yeah. Mostly because... You know, you're on that college meal plan. You, if you're a skinny guy, you just can't afford to put the calories True. in your body you need it. Yeah. Um, so. Well, how did um, you? But but how did you take? Um, because you obviously did gain a lot of weight. I mean, you're pretty muscular right now. Did when did that actually? When did that change? Like, when did you look in the mirror and you're like, "Holy shit, I've changed a lot." That's a good question. Like right after college, um, I most I mostly put on fat. Oh, same, okay. Same same mentality where like I had a lot of time and based on the job I had, my my sleep habits were pretty bad. Like I would work all day, come home, yeah, take a nap, then work out late at night if I wanted to, then eat some food, then go to. So my sleep habits were horrible, and I didn't work out that much. Mm-hmm. So I started to sort of put on weight, which was new for me because I was skinny my whole life. But now I'm like, okay, now I should work out. Yeah. And my job transferred me. That's why I was living in the Bronx. My job transferred me um, out to the Bronx, and I didn't know anybody. So the gym actually became my social setting because oh, I was cool. in a sales job, so I didn't have any coworkers either. Like any 
Oh, God. My coworker was, was really like, I'm flying. Yeah. So the gym really became like, I was like, well, I've nothing better to do after work. Um, and I moved to the neighborhood, so I had a five-minute commute to work. Oh, wow. And so, again, like, Dolphin Fitness was like, okay, either I'm going to go there or I'm going to go right home from work, and that's pretty boring. Yeah. Um, so that that ingrained the habit. I think maybe after, I want to say maybe two or three years is when I first started to sort of get compliments from, like, people that used to know me back in like, high school or college. Yeah. Um, so probably not until about two or three years after working out that people, I guess, start to notice it outside of myself. Yeah, and, and you can attribute, so you can kind of attribute the, that initial fat gain to your, you said your sleep schedule, right? Because you didn't get enough sleep kind of going into when you started feeling that change becoming fatter. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. what It was like so unhealthy in hindsight. I think I would. Yeah. And one of the problems is I had it, um, I had a fitness facility in my complex, a pretty nice one too. <laughs> sure. My 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 company at the time had to put me up because they they relocated me basically without my permission. So they're like, oh, as a consolation, <laughs> we're gonna put you up in, this, in a really nice place. Wow. Um, which I, it was amazing. I was 22 and I was I don't know how familiar your listeners are with um, Manhattan and Northern Jersey, but <laughs> probably not I very. But I don't know. Oh. I was right behind the Goldman Sachs building, which is the tallest building in New Jersey. Like floor to ceiling windows, like one side of me was the Goldman Sachs building, the other side was the Hudson River overlooking the financial district. Okay. It was awesome. Like I couldn't but the luxury gym I never used. I would get home from work at like six or seven, whenever I got back because yeah. I had a long commute at that point. And then I think I would usually end up taking a nap and wake up, go downstairs, get like a big thing of Italian pasta or something from the the deli downstairs. Sure. Eat, eat into like a food coma, watch TV, and then go to bed at like two in the morning and repeat. <laughs> so, I think, I, so I think it was like, because yeah, with the yeah. gym being there 24 7, I don't know if you ever had this problem, but when the gym closes, that, that sort of helps me a little bit. Cause I'm like, I gotta go because they're closing. Yeah. Versus 24 7 access actually worked against me. Cause I was like, all I have to do is just take the elevator and I'm there. And more often than not, I wouldn't go. So, so a, yeah, it was, it was that routine for months, and all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow, like, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm looking so good. Well, it almost it almost kind of acts as like a, a, some unique practical advice for anybody looking to sign up for a gym. Because, yeah, the 24-7 thing, you, you kind of shrug it off because it'll just stay open, whereas you got the gym that's on a schedule, you kind of have to go, you know, before it closes. So... Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, even now, like the, the gym I go to, I think it's twenty four seven. I don't know. I've, I've actually never tested it, but I think LVAC is twenty four seven. But yeah, like now I'm in such a routine that and work wise, I just no way I could go to the gym at two in the morning and ever hope to fall asleep before the alarm yeah. goes off in the morning. But um, yeah, and I I don't know about your listeners and yourself included. Like I personally cannot do home workouts. I don't. No, I can't. COVID either. was nope. COVID was really bad for me as well. Like. Monstrous. Yeah. I just can't. I just can't get mentally in the same space as like when I'm there. Like when I drove there, I walked there. Like I'm at the gym, trying to do work. Yeah. Like the mindset is different than if you just like walk downstairs to your basement gym or something. Yeah, I think for anybody who swears by home workouts, probably probably doesn't get the same amount of like intensity or stimulus that's given to them at the gym because you can't you can't possibly duplicate unless you have 
actual dumbbells and an actual like home gym you can't duplicate the stress you can like put your body through at the gym there's just no way you could never you, you could never even get put you know potentially gain anything i don't think you know so then yeah it's, the environment sucks it's absolutely shitty i can i completely understand so yeah but how long how long were you like trying to deal with the home workouts how long did it did you have to go for with those um i was somewhat fortunate the place i spent most of my quarantine was like a, a shore property it was like yeah. down the shore so no one was there but me and they had a fitness facility that was closed and about after six weeks of doing nothing i was like screw it i went down there and moved everything yeah and like moved their, like moved their summer gear moved them just like carved out areas where i could use like their it wasn't much. They went up like 50 pound dumbbells. So yeah. Obviously better than most people had. It had a pull up bar. Um, so <laughs> the I was necessities. Able to do something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I don't think I was making any progress, but I was definitely slowing down the atrophy of just sitting around all day long. So. Yeah. Yeah. It and had I, its advantages. Yeah. I guess it's more, you could use it more for maintenance, but maybe not any real progress i suppose you know so probably yeah especially like me like i personally what like in the beginning i was i was doing well yeah because my body was never used to like grabbing a 50 pound dumbbell and doing reps of 30 or 40 on like the bench or something so, <laughs> reps to infinity. so it was like it was actually pretty hard yeah after, like you know you get to like 20 you're, it's amazing i like wow now it's heavy as hell i can't go anymore oh yeah but after like weeks of that i started to get better and then it started to get even more boring so I'm like oh damn like, i don't want to do a set of 40 it, it gets just boring yeah. so it started to like my progress sort of tapered off as i just got mentally bored with the process yeah, you you don't have heavier weights. You're just like you just you're forced to just go up in reps to make it harder. So you're <laughs> you probably had like 80 reps, getting better and better, and you're like, Jesus Christ, my sets are like five minutes. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, and, <laughs> and admittedly, I would usually just like ah screw it. Yeah. You know, it, it was it was quarantine. Like, who do I have to look good for? Like, I am living by myself in quarantine. It's it's okay if I if I call this workout at 80. percent Yeah. Yeah, it, it really, man, you do need some, like, outer focus to, to keep you going or somebody to, like, do it for, or I don't know, I just just any one of the external reasons. It, it Internal can only take you so far, I think, you know. Yeah, I don't know the, I don't know the percentages, but I, I think they say, like, most, maybe not most, I don't know what the percentages are again, but in this arena, they have body body issues like body yeah. like a body dysmorphia or something like that yeah um like so i'm sure a lot of us that look decent without a shirt on probably are guilty of that to some extent but i don't know in my opinion it's some some of those insecurities are beneficial but yeah yeah exactly and you know i'll, I'll when you talked about your business you know on the podcast i screwed up when when you talked about your financial business and the and the coaching and everything you know when you go into kind of like like helping these online coaches is it hard to work with somebody that maybe has or or wants to make their coaching an ego focused 
business? Like, is there, do they really have to tweak how they present themselves to people? And I don't know if that's in your, your area, but when you work with people, uh, is there, do you see like differences in how they carry themselves? The people that I work with, no. And even the people that I interact with that, uh, that are not clients. Yeah. I would, the one thing I like about it, maybe part of the reason why either I like it personally or why I decided to specialize in that with my company, but I feel like most people in the fitness space, they just love it so much that they like helping other people. Okay. So I actually think if anything, it's, it's the opposite. I think there's a lot of other industries where there's ego and elitism, but yeah. I feel like in the, in the fitness coaching space, it's the opposite. They're, they really are passionate about helping other people. That's awesome. So, um, yeah, that's why I always like try to make parallels on my Instagram content about like yeah. the fitness industry for the most part is so welcoming. Like, hey, doesn't matter how bad you think you look, like let's we're here to help. Lose that first five pounds, like let's do it. Yeah. Whereas like the financial industry is exact opposite. They're like, don't even call us until you're already a millionaire. <laughs> like, well, so like wow. Well, yeah, the fitness people only only worked with people that have a six pack how many people would they actually help you know that's it's like, true it's so backwards in finance whereas fitness like we, if you already have a six pack you probably don't need our help yeah whereas in finance like we only want you if you got a million bucks otherwise you know, we, we're not interested so so there so there is kind of a need in the market for a financial company like yours that that doesn't doesn't operate in that way or, or like what you talked about stereotypically the way financial companies do right yeah so so my firm we don't take that approach um, okay we work we work as financial planning and really cfo work for clients so okay. what that entails is we're really deep inside of their business itself going over help them increase the profit yeah uh, reduce their taxes nice. and ultimately use use all of their personal wealth to build more wealth and that's both inside of the business value and in the personal side but they don't need to have an investment strategy that we agree with for lack of a better term oh, okay because we come on essentially as consultants like some of my clients they're into real estate some of them they do like the stock market yeah some of them are in, are in the crypto now or and some of them are just investing mostly back into their business and we try to get them to do two things. Really, one, invest in their business so that there's a higher likelihood that we can increase its value and have it sold one day. Yeah. And then taking a certain percentage out of your business and building your personal net worth just because, statistically speaking, most of us will never sell our business. Like, in the small business world, yeah, you, it's you keep extremely it. small percentage. Um, myself included, and I, I know we talked about this on the, the last time, but like myself included, I I don't think, I think that I'll be able to sell my business, but if you ask business owners in the 90s that, that ran like paper companies, yeah. what their retirement plan was, they would say sell the business, and then obviously paper is becoming less and less utilized, and True. those business values went to zero, um, or close to it. And so we don't know. Like maybe fitness, online fitness will be obsolete in 30 years and no one's going to buy their business. Yeah. Um, so we want, we want to prepare for both scenarios. Well, 
ideally, you know, if you're if you're going down that road of like scaling your business, building your business, and I and I don't know if there's a straight answer for this. I'm sure it's dependent on what the person wants and what they're trying to accomplish. But ideally, do you want to get to a point where you can sell your business? Like, is that really the end goal, or or is it better to constantly work on scaling and growing it in the long run? Well, those are actually usually the same thing. Okay. Um, you know, like uh, there's a, there's a, an institute. They this is what they do is they teach financial professionals how to help their their business owner clients exit the business, so okay. sell it. And if you prepare your business to be purchased, you are by definition really increasing its value. Because okay. if you are a one, if you're a one man band, and all the fitness advice comes through you, all the sales processes, all the email, everything is done by you. If I want to buy that business, I have to buy you. Okay. And if you're trying to retire, or if you, you know, God forbid something happens to you and you can't work anymore, um, that has no value. But if you build a sales team and a marketing system, and you have managers and coaches that dispense the advice and all of a sudden you become less and less relevant to the day-to-day operations of the business. Now you could go buy that business from them. You don't have to do anything. Like everything's in place. You just have to buy it and get a, a return on your money. So okay. when, when coaches build their business to make themselves less dependent in the operation, yeah. they're actually increasing the value because it, it vastly increases the amount of people that might be interested. Like, like their biggest competitor might want to buy them out because they're like, we're doing the same thing. We just want your client base. You know, wow. we, we've got the systems and processes. Um, huh. So, so planning, because every one of us exits our business. It's just whether it's voluntary or involuntary. Yeah. You know, whether we, whether we sell it or drop dead, we're all leaving the businesses eventually. Um, so planning ahead for it. But to, to answer a separate question that I ask my clients what their end goal is. Yeah. Because some people that have no interest in going down that road, they would rather just use like simple math. Let's say the business is generating a million dollars a year. If they do that with the bare minimum staff and maybe they're just using VAs and themselves, they could probably have, you know, 70, 80% profit margins. Yeah. And they're working a lot. Um, and they're potentially cool with that because, like, you know what, I can pull, you know, leaving taxes out of the equation, we can pull $700,000, $800,000 out of the business every year, and I'll buy real estate with it, and I'll max out my portfolios, and et cetera, et cetera. And I'll do that for 15 years, and then I'm done. And then the business can just, I'll, I won't renew any of my clients' contracts now to the end of it. And so that's, in theory, there's nothing wrong with that either because they're running an extremely profitable business. Yeah. And they've decided to not build the value of the business. They're going to build the value of their personal assets. And that's, again, there's no right or wrong. It's just the, the client needs to know what they're doing because if they're, if they're not clear on what the end goal is, they're going to start building a bridge to nowhere. Like they might start staffing up, but they've never had any intention of selling yeah. the business. Like they don't want to, they don't want to do that. So it's like, well, you're just eradicating your profit margin for no reason, mm. or you have a really high profitable business, 
you're not staffing it, but you're not buying personal assets. You're just spending the money. Like, mm-hmm. well, you know, you don't have anything to retire on because you're not building a business to sell. Yeah. And with all the profit you're pulling out, you're not investing in it. So, wow. You're again, like in both those scenarios, like there's no right or wrong. They just need to know what they're doing so you can strategically plan for the day that business is no longer. Yeah. Sorry, it cut out for like two seconds. I got you back though. Um, no, okay, cool. it, no. It's, but you know what's funny, and, and we had t- we had covered that a little bit on the last one when you talked about building a bridge to nowhere. But but just to kind of summarize it, it's like it's almost like you really just have to know where you're going, re- regardless of that goal. Like you guys are there to sort of create a a a line in the sand. Like, look, this is really where your end goal should be, and and we have to point the money in the right direction to to get you there. So that so that you do end up where you want to go with your business, like what you said, it's not just you're not just spending randomly. It's not just going to random places, and you're not you're not getting anywhere with it. It's like it's it's directed somewhere. Yeah, we we're gonna help you allocate the cash flows of your business. Yeah, because your personal goals should drive that decision, and that's one of the reasons that I advocate the people that don't have a financial person that is overlooking everything from the, from the highest vantage point, they are potentially doing themselves a disservice. Yeah. Because let's say there's a fitness coach who one of his biggest values is family. Like maybe maybe his, he didn't get a lot of time with their parents when he was young. So he's like, I have my young kids. It's really important for me to spend time with my kids. And that's one of their personal goals. If the business, let's say there's an extra $30,000 of that we haven't allocated, like, what should we do with it? If you just have a business financial consultant, they're going to evaluate the business and say, okay, you know, the, the website needs a revamp or whatever, and they're going to, in theory, allocate that to the business. Yeah. And then if you have someone only looking, well, to finish that hypothetical, in theory, in that scenario, they should spend that money on a vacation with their family because that's what they told you is their highest value, like time with the family, not... Okay something inside of the business to grow it because that's really not their personal goal. So if you don't have somebody, because in my personal experience, when I ran a business uh, right after college, this is before I had um, my finance and tax training. Yeah. I was, I was in that scenario. I had a, a CPA doing my taxes. He never was looking at the business, never helping me with the business. Mm-hmm. And admittedly, I didn't know to ask. Like I didn't, I didn't know what questions to ask. Yeah. Um, and, and my financial advisor at the time, all they were doing was taking as much of my cash flow, my personal cash flow, and stuffing it into all my retirement accounts, which was very huh. good advice, just not for me, because he had no idea and he wasn't asking. Like, I had a business side hustle at the time that was desperately in need of cash, and he was siphoning my cash out to my 40-year plan. Yeah. So that was like, and, and that's part of the reason, like the business model that I have for my clients, like you don't know what questions to ask. Like you're going to have all these professionals that are well-intentioned, but they're sure. giving you potentially bad advice because they don't see what's on the other side of the fence. Well, um, man, that, that's such a, yeah. that's such a relief to hear though. I mean, dead serious. I think 
from, from what it sounds like you're saying, a lot of uh, so many people, and and I hear this from just uh, people I talk to from they could be financial planners, they could be in the finance world, but everybody talks about retirement and retirement funds, and everything seems to go to retirement, no matter who you are. It's it, like I hear that a lot, and again, it's not from people. Some are are in the financial world, some are not. So I think it's something that. You know, people who aren't don't understand what kind of questions to ask need to know that maybe that's not the first thing we should think about, you know, like like doing that, just thinking solely about retirement. I think I think the challenge is that if you're not in the finance world, the different roles that people play become very ambiguous. OK, um, like if. Whoever someone's most trusted advisor is ends up getting all their questions. Like, typically that's an accountant because, like, it's the first person they were probably obligated to hire because of the IRS saying, hey, you owe us tax money. Yeah. So when you talk to an accountant, they'll, they'll be the first to tell you that they get all sorts of questions like, hey, what should I invest? Uh, what about this bank? Like, questions that should go to a banker. Some should go to a financial advisor. Some should go to them. And so... I don't think people really, really know where to direct their question because they don't necessarily know how all the the roles play together. Okay. Um, and again, that that was that was certainly my mistake. Like I didn't even know to talk to my accountant and say, "Hey, I'm running a business now. I have what is called a Schedule C. I have all these business deductions. Like I didn't know to even say, "Hey, what should I be doing now that I'm a business owner?" Yeah. And he certainly didn't like to his. This was a little bit. I, he, he didn't ask me either. Hmm. Like, I had no clue. Um, like he knew I was running a business because obviously I gave him a bunch of business expenses. But he didn't really but, understand either. No, he under well. He knew how to do the taxes. But yeah. The vast, the vast majority of accountants. I'm not. If anyone is accountant, I'm not throwing you under the bus. <laughs> it's all, but no they, they, they would, they would probably agree with this the statement. Most of them are excellent tax compliance yeah but but what that really is is staring at the rearview mirror of what happened the last 12 months and that's extremely valuable like sure. i i am an enrolled agent which is a tax advisor but i do not file taxes because people who do it all day long have more skills at it than people who don't yeah but the business owner Arguably more valuable. I don't want to say it's more because obviously you have to have someone who's doing it file the taxes, but you need a strategist who's actually forward looking who can strategically have you pay more or less taxes yeah. for a reason. And that's like that whole concept of tax planning. I had no clue what it was. And sure. It, it should be explained to business owners more often because. What you pay for your taxes to be filed is what everyone associates with taxes because you go and sit with your accountant in sure. March or April, and there's very little they can do to affect the tax bill at that point. So they just say, this is what you owe, and this is what you owe me. Yeah. And you walk out the door. Versus you sit down with someone like me, well, my clients, we do it all year round, but we specifically sit down in December, and we look at what the business is likely to owe based on what it's done so far. And then we go through a 50, I think it's up to 52 or 53 different checkpoints, filtering through what tax strategies could be used to get this bill lower or higher. Um, and just, it might 
yeah. you're not necessarily trying to pay less each year. You're trying to pay less over a lifetime. So there's ways in theory that you pay more today and then Interesting. 30 or 40 years from now, you'll, you'll pay you'll less. You'll pay less. And that, I mean, it, there's some art and science to it because obviously we don't know what the tax rates will be. But, yeah. but, that's what, but that's what I'm talking about with true tax strategy, tax planning. Wow. You, you have a lot at your disposal before 1231, and most accountants don't specialize in that. Um, yeah. So that's one of the things I talk to. People say, oh, I, I have an accountant. I'm, I'm all good. It's like, well, you may have a tax client expert, but you may not have tax strategy in your business. And they are different, and not all CPAs do both. That's that's entirely news to me though. Like I've never I never actually knew that, because yeah, everything everything seems so straightforward whenever you're trying to get your taxes done. Like it's not a, um, it's not something that ever ex- extends into the future that much, or it, it doesn't it with any with any kind of online thing or maybe like what you said an accountant, everything is is pretty black and white. There's not not gray area that you could potentially talk about with somebody. So that's that's cool. I, I didn't know that. I really didn't. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's not it's not even it's just the timing. Just again, like yeah, dur- during the current year, you have the entire tax code open to you to to do things legally to pay less taxes. But once twelve thirty one ends, there's like a handful of things you can still do. And yeah, so when you sit and. Most accounts, a lot of those things that you can still do, they fall a little bit more on the financial planning side, so they may not be having those conversations because they may or may not be comfortable talking to you about, oh, well, you have to put it into a, a SEP IRA or, you know, wow. there's, you, could, you could do this or that. Um, so, and, and again, that's, this is why people that, I'm a big fan of the team mentality. Like we have accounts that do the, the taxes. We have bookkeepers that all year round are keeping the books in order. Yeah. And then myself, I'm like the strategist at this that also works with the financial planning side. Like how are we actually going to make these investments? So the hmm. business grows, the personal net worth grows. That's all. That's the whole point. And um, like focusing on retirement is like, a, I feel like that's our parents term. Yeah. You know, most, most younger entrepreneurs, they, they don't necessarily want to retire, but they want to have that independent wealth where work is completely optional. That's true. Yeah, exactly. It's it's we we really want you know you want options with it. You want to know that it, it you can move it around in different ways and and really kind of pl- prepare for your future in a better way. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Right. Uh, I'm gonna can give a give a quick little plug real quick for your for your business just so I can kind of tack onto the episode. Sure. So uh, the business is Darby Business Advisors. You okay. can find me at, uh, at at Darby Business Instagram. I'm most active there. Okay. Um, Facebook is Pat Darby. My website is DarbyBA.com. Okay. Boy Apple. Um, yeah. It's awesome. Easy to, easy to find me. 